Just a quick heads up, this show contains sensitive and graphic material that might not be for everyone. If you don't enjoy in-depth true crime, humor about true crime, and drinking, please don't continue. We want to be respectful of the victims in these crimes, but as for the criminal, we just don't give a shit. Welcome to Crimes and Cocktails, a podcast where we explore true crime while drinking a customized cocktail created by us, your bartenders. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> All right, I'm Tabitha, and we got me mate, Katie. Katie. <laughs> Kate, that sounds so Australian. <laughs> Katie, Katie. Oh, the on the barbie, eh? I mean, they're a li- just a little bit south of the motherland. <laughs> <laughs> happy New Year, mates, and happy almost birthday, Katie. Uh, yeah, I'll be um, 30 on Friday. Oh, she's going to be 30. <laughs> that 30 flirty and thriving, except for none of those except for the 30. <laughs> Definitely not thriving. All right, mate. All right. Oh, yeah, man. this is definitely like a New Zealand or Australian accent, and I am so sorry yeah. if we just lost all our listeners down under, <laughs> or just all of our listeners, <laughs> all ten of them. Happy New Year, guys! So, and seriously, happy almost birthday, Katie. Her birthday is tomorrow. And if you've been paying attention to our social media, then you know that we have a birthday giveaway for Miss Katie. Okay. <laughs> uh, so we are going to be announcing our winner tomorrow. You snooze, you lose mm-hmm. if you're listening to this because you're probably already too late, mate. So, or you already entered and good for yeah, you. Yeah, you already entered, good for you. And to those of you who entered five million times, good job. Uh, <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> May the odds be ever in your May favor. May the odds be ever in your favor. <laughs> we have a new patron. Yes, so we do. Alexandra. That's exciting. It's already a good start to 2021. Mm-hmm. Hey, thank you, Alexandria. We're going to take a shot in your honor. And because we're doing gin today for our mm-hmm. mics across the pond, I'm not doing a gin shot because fuck that shit. I don't like gin. I'm just going <laughs> to drink an entire bottle of wine right now. That's my shot. What? You got to drink our drink. You're the um, tea ripper. No, no, no. My shot's going to be a, di- a giant bottle. Oh, shit. <laughs> That's one way to go out of your 20s. <laughs> you only die once. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. She died recording a podcast. At the young age of 29. <laughs> All right. Cheers, Alexandria. Thank you for joining our sleuthing and drinking team. Yes. Ding, ding, ding. Oh. I'm going to drink this. I'm drinking tequila if you want to know. It was a bad idea. <laughs> well. Uh, that was a bad idea. <laughs> That was a bad idea. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Oh, if you two would like us to drink for you, you can check out our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash crimes and cocktails. And um, depending on what level, we 
the shots keep going up. So <laughs> we don't just drink for you too, by the way. Yeah. You get included in a little bit of action. So we will be sending some little welcome packet to our new patron. And uh, we have new stickers coming out this week, actually, for the first quarter of 2021 mm-hmm. that designed by yours truly. So mm-hmm. I just got those in the mail. Those will be going out tomorrow. But uh, yeah, so you guys may have watched the Netflix documentary, The Ripper. Uh, interviews family members of the victims. The Ripper. Yeah, sorry. Um, I'll get into character later, maybe, <laughs> when I start drinking more. Um, anyway, and a few of the victims. It dives a little into the police side of the chase to rid the Ripper of the streets, gives some faces and names to the victims, and a little bit of background of where these murders took place. Peter Sutcliffe was convicted for murdering 13 women and for attempting to murder seven more. Um he was an asshole, obviously. Um, yeah, he was dubbed the Yorkshire Ripper in order to get the public's attention to stay off the streets and inside at night. And what a better way to get the people's attention than by comparing him to one of the most well-known serial killers of all time. Jack the Ripper. Of course. Um, this guy's nasty. Personally, <laughs> I thought the documentary was a little slow in the beginning. Yeah, uh, it was pretty slow. It's mainly based off of the victims and, like, their families' perspectives on it. So, I mean, we want to be sensitive, right, to the people that are affected by this crime. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we often forget that survivors are still alive for a lot of these crimes that were committed. Uh, but I just, I wish they talked a little bit more about his life. And I don't really feel like they did that. They didn't. Did it. it was definitely more about the police work and... Um... You know, the victims and the victim's family. <laughs> over police work. Yeah, as you guys will see, there was a lot of police work, and it wasn't it wasn't that great. <laughs> dive deeper. Tabitha is, has a little a little cocktail That's to share right, with us. mate. That's right. And I can't not sound like New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like the turtle from Fighting. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he's not from there, is he? He's like, he's like surfy accent, like. He's from Australia. Well, oh, yeah, he is, I guess. Yeah. Californians, Australians don't sound that bad. Right? Or is he from California? Australia. I don't remember. It's been well, it's much like Dory. I don't have a good memory. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. I get, actually. I get Finding Nemo and Finding Dory mixed up often. Both yeah. amazing movies. Actually, we saw Finding Dory together, and I remember we I remember. were dying. We were like the only people not eight years old in that movie theater but we were yeah cackling, but we were also the, the laughing the hardest cackling away I, uh, had tears of of humor and joy <laughs> dude the octopus <laughs> is my favorite oh my god he just keeps escaping and he's all incognito and then i love the whale yeah that, it's that... your it's your destiny destiny the octopus is based on like a real octopus mm-hmm. though because yeah. the Monterey Aquarium, which is where Katie and I are from, there was actually an octopus that kept escaping. So he would like sneak out of his tank and go to the other exhibits and eat fish and then get back <laughs> into his tank by morning and they started realizing like other sea life were missing and they looked at the cameras and saw him doing that. So freaking crazy. They are fucking smart. Fucking smart. I love octopuses, but I'm also kind of scared of them. Like, all my art is, like, a lot of octopus stuff. But at the same time, I never want to meet one face-to-face, like, out in the open. I think they're beautiful creatures, but um, 
you know, in movies, like, they I jump saw on 20, face leagues. and, like, <laughs> right? they, like, suck your face off, and I'm like, I'm not, I don't want to go that yeah, way. Yeah, did you see that documentary where, like, a scuba diver becomes best friends with one, and they, like, play together? I, no. I did I not watch it. Uh, Brandon, like, keeps telling me to watch it, but I have no interest in it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Brandon. I just thought I suggested to you <laughs> listeners, though. <laughs> I won't watch it either. <laughs> too scared. There's too many. We got well coming out, or what came out actually yesterday was uh, that I need to watch is the uh, documentary on Richard Ramirez that Netflix did. So I'll yeah, watch that one. Yeah, so. that's next. Yeah, that's gotta next. get my bottle of wine and my snuggies on and lock all my doors and windows. I leave them open. So the late for the night. <laughs> I like a little chaos. <laughs> Take a little chance. Take a chance on me. Take a chance. Take a chance. (laughs) All right. Let me get into this cocktail. We're getting way too off base. The person listening is like, they don't even talk about the Yorkshire River. Next. (laughs) They're doing a weird play-by-play of finding Dory. I don't know what's going on. Singing ABBA. I don't know what's going on. I promise this is a true crime podcast. We just distract. Side note, I was uh, deep in the hole of Reddit earlier, and they I was in the true crime podcast section, and so many people were talking about, like, I hate when people talk about their bullshit lives, and they take, like, 30 minutes to get to the actual subject. I was like, yeah, me too. And then I'm like, do we do that? Yep. <laughs> Not all the time. Not all the time. No, no, no. Sometimes it's straightforward. Some people, yeah. I won't name names, <clears throat> my favorite murder, but they do oh actually God. take, I love my favorite murder, though, okay? I actually do like it, but they take sometimes a really long time to get to the story. So, yeah. like, I'm talking, like, 45 minutes, which we're not there yet. So, all right. Let me get to your Maybe cocktail in the future. so you guys can be on the same level I'm at because I'm already one drink in. Uh, so, this one is called the Yorkshire Tea Ripper. I won't do it in my terrible accent, but it's two ounces of gin, and if you want to be full Yorkshire, you're going to use Whitaker's gin. That's like, you know, that's that's true true Yorkshire gin. You're going to take one Yorkshire tea bag, and you're going to press the tea bag into your two ounces of gin, so it really soaks up all the goods and the bits there, and then you're going to... Uh, you're going to mix that, and if you want to do it extra strong, you can actually add a Earl Grey uh, tea flavor as well for like a second tea bag there. If you're making like a bigger batch, you could do that. You could do it like a little punch bowl if you want. I don't know. What do they call it? Fish bowl or something. But Yeah, fish bowl. Fish bowl. I think actually this drink should be more like a fish bowl now I'm thinking about, it, but we're making a cocktail. Anyways, so you got your two ounces of gin, you got your one tea bag, you'll have your... Your one ounce of grapefruit juice, your one ounce of lemon juice, two ounces of simple syrup, and you're going to mix it all together. You're going to add a cup, a scoop of ice, and then you're going to top it with three ounces of soda water. So if you don't know what I'm saying and you want the recipe for this, go to our Instagram, and you'll have a lovely little doodle of this there. We'll see what I come up with. <laughs> it's not ready yet. It's not ready yet. I'll be doing that probably after this. A few more drinks. <laughs> I was like, I just realized while I was saying that that I forgot to draw this week's cocktail. So I got to get on that. Procrast- <laughs> We're major procrastinators. So <laughs> a lot of things. You know what? All A's there, in college, but... though. What up? <laughs> do tomorrow, do tomorrow. <laughs> okay, so follow us 
on Instagram. Crimes <laughs> and cocktails. As we were saying, we don't take 20 minutes to get to the story. That's, that is a lie. Um, I was born in 1991. It was a cold winter's day. Yeah, let's talk about Katie's birthday. Anyways... So check out our Patreon at Crimes and Cocktails. Check out our Instagram at Crimes and Cocktails. Thank you again, Alexandria. I might be a little extra more drunk because of you. So no, just kidding. Um, That's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. <laughs> it's a good thing. It's been All right, so... it's been a hell of a year, guys. <laughs> it's been a hell, All right. a hell I'm going, of a year. <laughs> I ain't going down that road. <laughs> All right. Alright, so we're going to get into it the murder now, I promise. Um, so Sutcliffe, <laughs> Sutcliffe family had been in Bingley for three generations. Mr. And Bingley. Raised... Yes, exactly. Do you know Mr. what that's Bingley from? Pride and five... Prejudice. Pride and Prejudice. 5,000 a year. Anyway. <laughs> I don't Lord, know I'm so fat. <laughs> yeah, Best it. line in the BBC version of Pride and Prejudice. 1995, y'all. If you got five hours of your life that you really care about and value, spend it watching that. (laughs) The last five hours of your life, if you're on your deathbed, watch that. (laughs) uh, The Sutcliffe family lived in Bingley for three generations and had been raised Catholic, uh, even having Catholic priests priests in the family. Bingley's a small market town. I know, right? (laughs) It's a small market town in the city of Bradford in West Yorkshire. Yorkshire, 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 England, a market town. (laughs) Here's how it goes, guys. In a small. Fun fact: This is our second time recording this episode because the first episode uh, did not lay down the tracks as smoothly as I wanted. Yeah. And guess what? Katie still can't say rule. (laughs) R U R A L. Rule. Oh, 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 that was so close. Okay, I've been saying ruler, guys, even though I know it's not. I know it doesn't look like it. It's about a small ruler town, 18 inches (laughs) by. (laughs) So anyway, if um, I start spelling things out later because I'm too drunk to literally speak, that's the word I'm trying to say. The English language is hard, okay? It honestly has nothing to do with me drinking. I just can't say it. Um... Anyway, so small ruler, 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 whatever. <laughs> I said it before. I said it before. You all heard me. In small a small town ruler was, town. <laughs> a small little town that was typically established in the Middle Ages as a marketplace. They were often fairly close to fortresses and castles, stuff like that. Uh, during the industrial industrial revolution, Bingley was booming with wool mills. And they were connected to surrounding cities by the Leeds and Liverpool Canal. So people over time were moving there to work mills, especially people from Ireland during the Great Potato Famine. Um, Potatoes. However, during the post-industrial era, the beaching acts of the 1960s cut many railroads and in turn cut most of the trade and work being done in the small mill towns like Bingley. Um, so you're left with this half industrial town and this half R-U-R-A-L town. You could say like little country <laughs> town, I guess. Little <laughs> country town. Side note, Ooh, I will Lord. leave that word out of our script in the future. <laughs> There's a lot of words you're going to have to leave out of that script. So I couldn't find the population for 1975. And that's probably just me being lazy on my Google search. But in 2011, which is the last known population... Are you guys okay out there? 
<laughs> I think it's been wiped off the face of the earth, honestly. Oh my gosh. I remember <laughs> when I went through, I went through Yorkshire area and that was many moons ago. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Gosh, it was 2006. So yeah, before 2011. Yeah, was many moons ago. <laughs> uh, but the population was a little over 18,000, which is like so fucking tiny. Like I thought my town was small and we're definitely over a hundred thousand people. So that's really small. So I imagine the seventies, this town was even smaller. It's just like definitely a town where everyone knows everyone. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so Peter's father, John was a well-liked guy in this community. He grew up eating real lads food or real man's <laughs> food, which was basically pig tripe and trotters. And uh, do you know what a pig trotter, what a pig trotter is? Do they trot with it? Uh, pig legs. <laughs> pig trotter trot. That's so fucking disgusting. <laughs> right, I, pig I had to look it up because I wasn't sure this is like not me being dumb. I swear, but I thought pigs had little hooves. <laughs> Don't they have hooves? Oh no. Do they not? <laughs> it's like fatty. It's not like horse hooves. Like, yeah, I know because you get like pickled, pickled pigs feet inside. Yeah. Like you know, the I remember going store. to the grocery store with my mom as a uh, kid, and they'd be like the pigs feet, and it'd be like the cow tongue, and I'd always like rub my fingers across the plastic covering of the cow tongue, and my mom would be like, oh, to "Stop feel the that." What is some lingua? tell me because i would always pick stuff up when i was a kid she's all you better look with your eyes and not your hands i always tried to eat pork rice because we would go to like food for less yeah and I'd be, like, try oh, to grab yeah. them out of the plastic bins and then my mom would be like Where, what are you eating <laughs> nothing so Peter's father was a strong guy. He took care of his siblings growing up. He would play sports, and he joined the Navy right out of high school. He had a pretty cush job in the Navy. He was a merchant Aren't Navy, and he all? did a lot of entertainment. <laughs> Just kidding. Sorry, right. Brandon. <laughs> Sorry. I know. Well, I was going to say, uh, your boyfriend's in the Navy. <laughs> She's in Italy smoking fucking cigars and drinking shit. Fuck you. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, my God. I think that. You didn't hear that. <laughs> See you this weekend, Brandon. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, he was in the choir. He sang. He did Shakespeare. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. He did singing and doing Shakespeare in the Navy. I do respect the Navy. <laughs> I respect your service. It's just... Singing, I want dancing. that gig. <laughs> um, I heard that he would do a little pig trotter strip tease. <laughs> kidding he didn't did someone um, say sausage so... in the house <laughs> he's not taking off his uniform i don't think he was around. in the navy <laughs> anyway um so he married kathleen peter's mother at 23 she was 25 um and he had one left year left in the navy i know Ooh, older woman and uh only two months after getting married kathleen was pregnant with peter the war ended, and John returned home to a seven-month pregnant wife in Bingley. 
this healthy man suddenly started growing weak and sickly almost the moment Peter was born. He lost a dramatic amount of weight, was weak, tired every day after work. Doctors couldn't Called figure it fatherhood. out. And, uh, <laughs> no, Peter was just a sad sack of shit. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sucking that energy Ew. out. I just pictured Suck- like sucking. sucking like his leg or something like that. Just like with his little vampire yeah. teeth. I know. And it's all. <laughs> but I picture like baby Peter also <laughs> having like a square fro. <laughs> Yeah. Or sideburns. <laughs> he just has a little <laughs> giant pro. I know. He's like, mm, ah, you had pig trotters today, didn't you, Dad? <laughs> you had pig trotters? Because I'll suck on your trotters. <laughs> that sounds wrong. I'm take that back. Retract that. <laughs> oh, my God. But, <laughs> that's not what we said. <laughs> uh, Peter Sutcliffe was born to John William Sutcliffe and Kathleen Francis on June 2nd, 1946 in Bingley, Great Britain. He was the first born out of six children, and Peter was born prematurely. He was only weighing five pounds, and doctors were unsure if he would survive. I just want to say that I was only six pounds, and they had a lot of hope in my survival, so... (laughs) (laughs) He was fine. He's fine. fine. He's all just sucking on the doctor's (laughs) trotters. head or a skull i guess that okay that's actually a reason for well actually all babies kind of come out looking like cone heads they have they have weird shaped heads and they're usually like the hole they come out of is not that big okay (laughs) yeah so if they have an egg head like sorry kathleen you did a good job good job it's not your fault but the doctors were like, yeah, his egghead will even out, but I guess it never did. And his dad was, like, really concerned about this, which I just picture his dad, like, <laughs> always examining his head next to, like, an egg. <laughs> I know. He's all, Kathleen, we got any more boiled eggs? She's all, why? No reason. <laughs> checking. <laughs> he's, like, has, like a, uh, like, a bouncy ball and an egg, and he's, like, comparing them both to his he head. He opens the fridge. Peter's Come just on. sitting in there with his head next to the eggs. <laughs> I know. Like wrapped with some like pig intestines. Okay, pig trotters. <laughs> okay, the weird. Th- so a lot of my information oh my actually came from the book somebody's uh, somebody's husband, somebody's son, or other way around, I think. Yeah. But uh, they went on for like many paragraphs about how much pig shit. Not really shit, but just like pig intestines and trotters and all the stuff that his dad ate. Like this was his identity. Was like the he ate real man's food that was his identity so that is it's so strange. strange that's like, that's in like the, the grinch when he's all who wants the hazard <laughs> but imagine like i'm like hey this is my friend tabitha um she loves in and out and that's like all you had to say yeah. about me or like this is my friend tabitha she loves turkey oh okay <laughs> what a boy they should have been like he was doing burlesque in the navy <laughs> right? like that's that's his personality. Like, That's his on. personality. It's true. So he had an egghead. <laughs> and it never evened out. Uh, Peter was so weak yeah. as a child that he had to pull himself about on the floor to get around. Like, there's a movie with a kid that does that, and I can't think of who it is. But I just picture him on, like, a little, is. like, carpet and him just scooting about the floor. 
uh, he would hold on to his mom's skirt and kind of use that to help him stand. And so he was always seen as clutching his mother's dress for the first eight years of his life. His dad really wanted him to like walk normally. So he bought him these boots with like major ankle support to help Peter walk, but he just looked like a freaking weirdo and his legs were super skinny cause they weren't strong. So he was just often made fun of at school. He actually spent all of his school breaks hiding out in the library or just simply skipping school. John, Peter's father, eventually... So when he got out of the Navy, he actually started working at this bakery, which I think he was like maybe part ownership or something like that. I was looking at it. But he quit the bakery that he was working at and he started working at uh, as a weaver in a mill and immediately his health started returning. So it could have been a little bit of Peter sucking on his trots or it could have been something in the bread. I don't know. <laughs> it, was it was the, the trots. <laughs> Anyways, uh, he got his strength back and he started playing football and cricket with his coworkers and he joined a local choir because choir boy can't stay away. And this meant that he was not really around. So the Sutcliffe children pretty much grew up with like a really absent father. He was out, you know, living his life. Probably like, I mean, he got married super young. So he's probably like in his 30s and he's just like, I'm going to keep singing and, and doing my thing. Like you can't stop me kind of a thing. So that's where he's at. <laughs> uh, he really wanted... Peter to play sports, but all Peter ever wanted to do was stay home and read his books or comics or stay in the bathroom for five hours, which is another thing that I read about. Uh, I guess it was like a really common joke among the family that Peter would stay in the bathroom all day if he could, and he would spend more time in the bathroom than all the women in the house combined, which that would have been about five women, including his mother and his grandmother. And it kind of reminds me Jeez. of that line in Young Frankenstein <laughs> where he's like, oh, this, where Igor is like, this reminds me of the conversation with my father. What the hell are you doing in the bathroom all day and night? Why don't you give someone else a bloody chance? <laughs> like yeah. all I think about. You know what? I don't know what, but apparently... Did they ever think it was all those pig insides? <laughs> well, I don't know if Come Peter on. was really eating all that. It was his dad that was eating all that shit. <laughs> Peter, like, goes to reach for one, and his dad stabs him in the hand with his fork. Hey, get your hands on my trust. Send me a piece of that liver. <laughs> Send me a piece of that liver for later. <laughs> oh I just finished God. my drink. Um, I'm going to need another. We filled. Anyways, uh, so yes. there was, like, a... This is super freaking creepy. There was like a, a little hole in the bathroom door and his brother, Peter's brother, Carl, would secretly watch his big brother because he wanted to see what he was doing in the bathroom all the time. Uh, don't do this. Creep. Like, you should never do this. I have brothers. I, if they're in the bathroom for an extended amount of time, I don't want to know about it. The longer they stay in there, the less interested and I'm the in less finding that out. I want to go in the bathroom after them. <laughs> right? I'm like, oh, that window was open. Steamy oh my gosh. That's a whole other subject. But, anyways, <laughs> apparently, his Peter wasn't really doing things in the bathroom that most teenage boys were doing, like jacking off. He was snipping his hair uh, millimeter by millimeter. Which, if you don't know the millimeter is, look it up, because I ain't explaining it to you. But it's, 
he was very meticulous about cutting his hair a certain way, which I don't know if you've seen the picture of him. He looks like some R&B singer with a stupid haircut. He has a square. a square fro. I don't know how to describe a square fro. It's like if Minecraft was a guy with a fro, that would be Peter <laughs> Sutcliffe. I don't know. Egghead, square fro. It looks whack. You can see a picture of him on our Instagram. Yeah, it's super <laughs> weird. He yeah, has like really uh, interesting eyebrows too. Like they look almost drawn on. Yeah. I so like, they do. They're yeah, like for shapes. his crazy hair. Like you cannot tell me. You cannot tell me that he did not shave. And probably his use like brow liner you know or then. something. I don't know what they had back They're then. They're really dark, yeah. yeah. Charcoal from yeah. the fire. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Yeah, they said he was just no, standing no in front of the mirror, cutting his hair, and he would just do that for hours on end. Yeah. He's a he's a weirdo <laughs> for more than one reason. <laughs> So at 15 years old, Peter left school. He had uh, too many truancies and decided to start working instead. He started as an apprentice fitter at the engineering works of Fairbanks and and Beerley in Church Street. He complained to being exploited and left these after a year and went to work with his father at the mill. I mean, he's den. like 15 years old. There's a little exploitation <laughs> going on there. Yeah, yeah. I doubt that they had like only a certain amount of hours they could work or something. So after a few months there, he decided he didn't like weaving either, so he got a job at Fiber Products. Peter was still a very shy and quiet teen. His family said that they would never be able to tell when he entered or left a room. <laughs> at the Fiber Product now place. Now you see me? They had... Now you don't. <laughs> I totally did the hand <laughs> wave there too, by the way. magic. I know exactly <laughs> what you mean, and I'm, a, I'm happy you did that. <laughs> <laughs> they had to wear a uh, face mask at this fiber works to cover their faces and protect their breathing from the gases and, and coronavirus. dust. Uh, and coronavirus. And I guess his co-worker said, even with the mask, he looks like a, a queer bugger with the look of a frightened animal. <laughs> Just He's a strange looking guy. So, I mean, I don't... He's a strange looking guy. I can't imagine, uh, like, that yeah. square fro with those beady eyes and those pointy eyebrows with a mask on. Yeah, and just his eyes, like, creeping, shifting, shifting around, all creepy. Darting about. Shifting away. So his, he got a little bit older. Uh, he got to his 18th birthday. Peter started to get an interest in motorcycles and cars and real lad stuff, as they would say. He started putting himself on, on a bodybuilder diet to try and bulk up a little bit, get them gains. And he bought the bowl worker, which when I first read this, I thought it was bowl whacker. And I was like, I don't want to know what that is. But it's apparently, it's an exercise thing. I don't know. Like, growing up as a kid, I faintly remember my mom watching, like, exercise videos um, with, like, women in bright leotards on the beach doing, like, their routine. And it's kind of like one of those things where it's like, order now. This will make you thin. Like, the, what's the thing that people, like, shake it totally looks like the shake weight it kind of reminds me of something like that this is like an archery kind of style thing where you're like but you're using your arms to like expand and stuff like that so but it, whatever it was it worked for him uh people started noticing results although they said they he hid it in his closet and he'd only take it out when no one was around which is also why i thought it said bullwhacker uh and I was like, do I dare Google this? <laughs> um, although his little beefing up helped him for his next job, which was being a grave digger. 
I want to read this one account of an incident that happened from, this was taken by one of his coworkers named Billy Moore. He said this happened right after Peter actually joined the staff. And uh, don't hate me for this really terrible accent. You were digging an earth grave, where lad, just by the side of a grammar school wall, and he were using an iron prodder to locate the top of an old coffin that we're already in. He would having to keep his feet to the side because it turned out there were no lid to hit. But suddenly he let out a scream, which was really more of a yelp. By the time I got there, he was still shaking and standing with his skull on a spade and he wouldn't let it go. It does jump you a bit. On occasions like this, when the diggers would douse themselves with Jay's fluid or whatever else was handy and attempt to get rid of the stench. Apparently... Uh, Peter was looking for, you know, an open coffin, or he was looking for a coffin, and it was open, and he accidentally, supposedly accidentally, skewered the head of a body, with a skull, and let out a yelp. And then he had it on his stick, and was kind of waving it around, he said normal people would, like, want to get rid of this, because body parts and stuff get on them, so they would, like, douse themselves with, like, it says jizz on I don't believe that's how it's pronounced, though. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think that's right. I think that's, I think that's right. right. Yeah, which is. <laughs> don't worry, man. I'll come on you right now. <laughs> uh, Take that stench right off. It does. It's a different kind of stench after that. Um, yeah, it's saltier. stanky. But he, uh, he, like, hung on to it, and he had this skull on, like, the top of his stick. We have... That's... A kebab. I know, kebab. <laughs> it's Bob. On a stick. Bob. Called kebab. Bob to kebab. Uh, so he's a weirdo. Anyways, he went from moving, uh, he moved from working at the cemetery to working at the local morgue. They had, hey man, we have some extra shifts. You were a dude. Do you want to come work for us? And he would work there and he'd help with like moving the bodies into like their new coffins. Sometimes he'd have to like redress them and stuff. Um... But he started getting into looting the bodies for jewelry and, like, rings and everything like that. And I guess he started to actually brag about it to the people he worked with. And I read this one part in the book that I thought was kind of funny where it talks about Peter. Like, so after work, all the guys would hang out in this common room and they get drunk and listen to music, shoot darts, whatever. And I guess, like, he started to get more comfortable. Like, they're like, oh, yeah, Peter, he's a weird lad. That's a weird guy. And he started to get a little bit more comfortable around them. And he decided to bring his own cassette tape to play, or maybe 8-track at this time, to play. And it was a recording of his dad, like, singing hit songs from the time. Which is just... You know, sometimes... Sometimes you shouldn't get comfortable, you know? Yeah. Like, you should not sometimes get comfortable. <laughs> you just leave that shit at home. <laughs> so it's weird. talented? I just picture, like... American Idol! American Idol! It's probably Idol. not even, like, quality... Like, a quality sound recording. It's, like, some home recording. You know what I mean? Yeah. Super weird. Anyways, yeah. surprisingly, everyone knew about him looting the bodies, and he did not get fired for this. He actually got let go for being late all the time. So... Skip that macchiato at Starbucks and be at work on time. Never. Yeah, I don't. I Never. don't believe that. I don't abide by that. But you know, do what I say, not as I do. Exactly. <laughs> Peter's professional life is kind of like this for the most part. He just drifted from job to job constantly and was late uh, a lot. Yeah. 
Um, he has a few gaps where he was unemployed. I mean, don't we all now? Twenty-twenty. Seriously, <laughs> pour one out. Uh, so in between looting bodies, switching jobs, and being unemployed, Peter grew incredibly... What a busy guy. Right? <laughs> Got a lot on my hands. Shesh was full. And that body does not have a lot on their hands. Ha <laughs> ha! Oh, God. After Peter took it from him, I guess. Oh, Peter grew incredibly interested in the J. Tussaud and Jean Nicholson Museum of Waxworks, which is, you like you know, like the Madame Tussaud's Wax Museum. Um, this is just a really bad... Really Those things bad. are so knockoff. creepy. Yeah, so they're awful normally, and this is just so much worse. <laughs> this is a knockoff of that awful wax. Museum. It's like going on the old like Pirates of the Caribbean ride with like just the really old things that are just staring yeah. at you. Yeah, except for worse. <laughs> so. Like the Jack Sparrow at the end does mm-hmm. not look like Jack Sparrow. No, no, like that. Now, the museum had featured members of the royal family, politician, leaders. It also had a chamber of horrors featuring scenes of torture, famous murders, things like a pig-faced Watches. lady, one-eyed uh, one <laughs> one man, and an elephant-faced boy. Now, the most interesting and perhaps the weirdest collection of all was the display of <laughs> STDs. Um, so there were waxworks of female and male torsos with, like, pussy and infected genitalia. That's it's disgusting. so disgusting. <laughs> I literally just... Um, I'm gonna keep drinking. <laughs> yeah, just keep going. And, uh, Peter was obsessed with STDs. Like, obsessed. So, I mean, uh, I understand... Not really. But I understand, on some level, people being obsessed with, like, pimple popping. Yeah, yeah. But being obsessed with popping... A pimply pussy is a different matter. <laughs> That's disgusting. Like, I'm obsessed with, like, animals. This guy's obsessed with STDs. <laughs> That's disgusting. I have never heard of someone being obsessed with STDs. No. I can actually say that. Like, No. If, if I had, I would be like, mm, uh, I'm just going to scoot. <laughs> we'll touch you with a nine and a half foot pole. Seriously. Um, so he later actually got different STDs and he felt the need to tell everybody about it. So he would like try to show people and he would it's call. It's like a Girl me. Scout sash. She's got his like, yeah. this is when I had. Uh, this is when I had herpes. Herpes. This, yeah. this is when I had a funny rash. I couldn't quite This is when I had gonorrhea. So gross. He actually called a friend that he hadn't talked to in a long time and was all, hey. What's up, mate? Like, how's your family? Oh, by the way, I got a diseased dick. Like, just thought you should know. His friend was like, you should get that checked out. <laughs> Yo, man. So diseased dick is not in in the 70s. <laughs> oh, I don't think it's ever been in. Um, yeah. Also, no one no. wants to hear about your dick. Like, no. ever. No. He was proud of it, though. He was proud of having sexually dude. transmitted Such diseases. Such a dude. Uh, Why are men yeah. so proud of their dicks? Like, Get over yourself. Especially when it's disease. Like, there's no reason for you to be proud Why of Why do you think women buy pink sparkly vibrators? Because they don't want to see no diseased, hairy, pus-filled, limp-ass dick. Like, get out of here. Like, if somebody pulled <laughs> somebody pulled that out, like... Nope. Nope. <laughs> I'd be like, do you need me to cut that off for you? Right? I think you need to get that amputated, dude. It's like... Disgusting. It's yellow. Uh, so he <laughs> he told people he got the STDs from a prostitute. Uh, but yeah, he was proud of this. Oh, he's proud. Even cooler. So yeah. much cooler. Yep. So he paid to have a diseased dick. <laughs> Come on, so dude. Can you make sure to like spit on it too? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Really get up in there. 
You haven't showered in two weeks? Okay, come on, come on, come on. Dude, it's like, he's going to this museum, like, all the fucking time, like mm-hmm. a fucking weirdo. He's probably, like, a regular, like, do you yep. get my points today? <laughs> Eating a frappuccino <laughs> in the freaking lobby, staring at pussy with his head Pussies. shaped like a ridiculous pussy, like, with that fucking curly hair. Square bush. Square bush. <laughs> oh, God. Security guards all like, man, you gotta go. We right. closed two hours ago. You know this. We've been through this before, Peter. (laughs) (laughs) Stop trying to pop the pimples on the fake torsos. (laughs) Disgusting. Oh, God. All right. So Peter met, on that note, Peter met his soon-to-be wife, Sonia Zerma, (laughs) on February 14th, 1967. Oh, Valentine's Day, sweetheart. Sonia was born in the year 1950 to Ukrainian and Polish parents after they fled from the Czech... Blech. Sorry, alcohol got to me. After they fled from Czechoslovakia during World War II, they raised their two daughters, Marianne and Sonia, in Bradford, which is, if you guys remember... Well, if you don't remember, it's like an extension of Bingley. So, same neighborhood that, uh, that our dear Peter grew up in. Marianne was a little bit older, and she would go to the bars and discos, and she would tell her dad that she was actually attending ballet shows. When Sonia was 15, she started tagging along with her sister, and it was at one of those bars when she was 17 that she met Peter Sutcliffe. When she was 22 years old, she was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Two years after her diagnosis, her and Peter got hitched on her 24th birthday in August of 1974. She was 24, Peter was 28. During their marriage, they lived with her parents because, if you remember, Peter was not good at holding the job. So, they lived with the in-laws, which, anytime I've ever heard that from someone, they have not had a good experience with that. So, sure, that was great. Uh, she had several miscarriages during their early years of marriage, and she was eventually told that she could not bear children. So, Sonia was, uh, decided to go back to school to be a teacher. Sonia was a bitch, <laughs> just to put it lightly. Uh, she was a bitch. I'm sorry. She has schizophrenia, but she was just like, she was fucking crazy. She would have fits of rage, and she would just beat on Peter, like, all the time. And, quote, slap him like a schoolboy. Barbara Jones, a journalist that, after everything came out, she had a lot of conversations with Sonia, described Sonia as... The most irritating, strangest, and coldest person I've ever met. She's incredibly prickly and demanding. So she was like one of those wives that everyone's like, oh, the old ball and chain. She was that ball and chain, but with spikes. Like she would pick on everything. Surprisingly, I don't don't feel like she ever said anything about Peter's hair, which is like the number one thing I feel like I would comment on as his wife. She probably knew that if she said a word about his hair, that he would, like, gut her like a fish. <laughs> hey, egghead. Your head looks like a fucking pussy. So just my pride and joy it is. <laughs> pride and joy. Pride and joy it is. Ah, uh, stupid. Uh, so, she started going back to school. Eventually, they moved into their own place when Peter got a not-so-serial-killer job as a truck driver. And she started pottery making pottery and getting all into it and she started filling the place with super freaky weird pottery pieces like if you saw beetlejuice and you remember the mom in there with like the really weird 
shaped stuff. Oh, yeah. It's like that. Like, super weird stuff. Which is, you know, maybe kind of cool, actually. It's very abstract. She was, she was ahead of her time. I don't know. But while she was in school, she had a brief affair with an ice cream guy. Like, literally the guy that drives around in the ice cream fan. That guy. She had an affair with him. And I really hope she got free ice cream during it because what's the point? Especially the ice cream with the bubblegums fries. That's yeah, the like the Tweety Bird? Their yes. Powerpuff Girl? Or Song of the Hedgehog? Yep. Oh, yeah. That's my favorite. <laughs> Actually, that sounds so fucking good right now. Or the one... There was one candy I used to, or ice cream I used to really like. It was like like dips almost where they're like chocolate-covered balls of ice cream. Oh, the dip, so, the Dippin' Dots. Was it Dippin' Dots? No, 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 not Dippin' Dots. They were like chocolate-covered, like malt, malt chocolate balls. Oh, oh damn Whoppers. They were like Whopper ice cream things. Like it was Whopper the candy mixed with ice cream. Sounds pretty bomb. Sounds pretty bomb. It was so fucking bomb, and it came with like that wooden spoon thing that was on attached on the lid. Nice. Oh, I know what you're talking man, about. I miss the ice cream, man. Fucking pandemic. <laughs> fucking honest man, honest man can't work around here. <laughs> come also, on. the ice cream man does not come in my neighborhood. I. I moved a few streets over from the ghetto, so I'm not there anymore. I miss the ghetto life, though. I'm not going to lie. We have an I ice cream I miss my car man. being broken into all the time and getting stolen and all that good stuff. Better times. Simpler times. Simpler times, man. <laughs> Simpler times. Uh, yeah, so she had an affair with the ice cream guy. Around this time, Peter was still going out to bars with his friends. He's driving big trucks around. He has a wife at home. Who's crazy, but, you know, he fits the norm of society. And he has a few mates who sort of just put up with his weirdness. Um, Actually, like, one of his friends that's quoted later was like, yeah, Peter was kind of quiet like me. Like, we just kind of, like, laughed at everything and went along with everything. Like, he was a cool guy. I was like, if only you knew the craziness. Uh, Peter thinks pretty highly of himself around this time, and he has the idea for whatever reason, that sex workers would love to have sex with him for free and see his fucked up dick for free. And he goes to seek someone out to get back at his wife for cheating on him, which she'd probably be like, no, man. (laughs) It's fucking lame. I guess he met a prostitute who um, he made an arrangement with and he gave her the money, but then she wouldn't give him change back And then she left before they could actually consummate their deal and have sex. So he gets super pissed and, you know, pissed about it or whatever. He runs into her later and he wants his money back. She laughs at him and gets everyone else around them to laugh at him. It's like the whole little, like, alleyway. All the little shop makers stuff are, like, laughing at him and stuff. like making fun of him. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. I always think of that scene in Prince's Bride. Boom! Yeah, they're Boo. surrounding him. He's all upset. Dude. Yeah. What a fucking idiot. Let it go. <laughs> Let it go. Let it go. So he gets all pissed off about this, and he, instead of letting it go, he's just holding in all that anger, man. He gotta let it go. He's driving around one day with his friends, uh, and he sees this woman... And he's all festered up about this fucking anger issue and stuff like that. And not getting Dude. his fiber back. <laughs> he's festered up because he has STDs. Not just Dude, his dick is festered. He's <laughs> festered. Yeah. Uh, 
he tells his friends to pull over and he's like, I'll be right back. He runs out. He finds that girl that he just saw, hits her with a brick in a sock, and then jumps back in the car and then tells his friends about it later. Like, oh yeah, I just hit like a girl with a brick in my sock. And then he throws the brick out the window. His friends are morons, by the way, because they're like, I couldn't tell if he was kidding or not. And I'm like, what the fuck is fucking wrong with you? This guy's a fucking psycho. Anyways, he gets tracked down by the police and they give him a stern talking to and they tell him, hey, don't do that again. And yeah, so he has learned that he can kind of get away with this, basically. I guess he would like his, so one of his friends, uh, Trevor Birdsall, he talks about this later and he's like, yeah, like when he got back in the car, he was like all excited and stuff and like told us about it, but I didn't really know whether to take him serious or not. And I guess they would just drive around the red light district all the time and he'd be like, look, that girl over there has got really big knockers and just point that all the time, which I think every stupid guy does that anyways. So I guess that's not very much different than normal guys. So around this time, Sutcliffe has learned that he can kind of get away with shit because he was caught a few times for doing stupid stuff like this. And this is where we're going to start to see him escalate. In early July of 1975, Anna Rogolsky was going to her boyfriend Jeff's house to confront him after he left her and took her kitten. Crazy dude. Her cat. Uh, her cat. Uh, so on the way, a stranger standing in a doorway asked her for sex, and she said no. Kept walking. You go, girl. Jeff wasn't home, so she headed back this way, and then uh, the way she had came, and the same man's there again asking her for sex. She refuses him, but this time she elbows him in the ribs before continuing on, like, you know, get back. And then the last thing she remembered was pain in her head. I'm sure you've guessed this all by now, but that man was Peter Sutcliffe. Um, She was found at 2.20 a.m. by a boy going through the alley. She was unconscious in a pool of blood. Her clothes had been disturbed and her shoes pulled off. She had three lacerations to her skull, defensive bruising on her hands and arms, and what the doctor called peculiar marks on her abdomen. These ended up to be um, stabs from a screwdriver. So shards of bone were pulled from her brain during the 12-hour operation. That's how hard he had hit her. And she had not, um, but she had not been sexually assaulted. Anna had not been expected to live, but managed to pull through. She couldn't remember her attacker, but felt like he was local. And then one of Jeff's neighbors said that he had seen a man in his 20s or 30s who was around 5'8 in the area before the attack. But police were unable to make any progress in finding her attacker when they started to investigate. Oof, gosh. Sutcliffe's next attack was Olive Smelt. You later. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Stupid joke. Uh, her name was Olive Smelt. Uh, she was a 46-year-old mother of three. She'd been out with a friend at the pub while her husband stayed at home with their youngest child on August 15th, 1975. So this is just the next month after the previous attack. While at the pub, Olive remembers a dark-haired, bearded man, which I'm surprised she didn't say squared-hedged, like, Afro guy, because uh, how could you forget that? But he passed by her and making a comment that implied she was a prostitute. She corrected him and thought that was that. She drove home from the pub with friends, but had them drop her off at a chip shop so she could get a late dinner for her husband. A chip shop is like fish and chips. Uh, that's what they call over there. They don't call... Chips aren't chips, guys. They're, They're fries. And uh, our chips and are chips called are crisps. crisps. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yep, there's a lot of things I I learned over there. 
so she she's like, I'm going to get a late dinner for my husband and son. And I'm literally salivating thinking about fish and chips right now. Oh my gosh, I'm freaking hungry. Uh, it was closed, so she started to walk home and was surprised when the same man from the pub popped out and remembers him saying, the weather's let us down a bit, hasn't it? Then he says nothing else. And Sutcliffe's attack was interrupted by a neighbor arriving home. He jumped out of his car, and Sutcliffe had gotten away by the time the man reached her. She had a head injury and was unconscious with her skirt up. She was taken to the hospital, and as with Anna, she was not expected to survive. The same doctor who had treated Anna came to look at Olive and told the police that their injuries looked very similar. But the police dismissed the idea and instead pointed the finger at Olive's husband, because... That's usually where they go in the beginning. When Olive recovered and told them that a man had broken, had spoken to her beforehand, they dismissed this as well and continued to suspect Olive's husband trying to get her to say it was him. So on August 27th, 1975, not long after the attack on Olive, Sutcliffe... So like a week later. Yeah. Sutcliffe strikes again, and this time it's a 14-year-old girl. Uh, yeah, I know. So her name was Tracy Brown. She was, or is Tracy Brown. She was walking back home from a friend's house when she saw a man with dark Afro style hair, um, a square Afro, and dark eyes walk ahead of her. She recalls that they were soon walking side by side and he begins to talk to her, nothing unusual, and she didn't feel scared at all. So she's like, all right, we'll continue to walk together. And then, um, you know, Talking back and forth, about 30 minutes, he said his name is Tony Jennis, and then they were almost to her house, and she turns to thank him for the company. Um, she said she remembers feeling really happy and because she felt so safe that she had somebody to walk home with her with. Um, of course, when she turns to thank him, he lunges at her, begins striking her, and she falls. Uh, she begged for him to stop, and he hit her about five times. Um, a driver begins to approach, so Sutcliffe picked her up, dropped her over the fence, and then runs off. Tracy managed to get up and started to go through a field to look for help. She was afraid that he was going to come back and actually kill her. Um, her vision's blurry. There's, like, blood in her eyes all over her, how, uh, over, uh, all over her face. Um, and she finds Gosh. a farmhand's caravan, which, you know, is, like, like a trailer. And he helps her get back home. And then she's taken to the hospital. She has a five-hour operation. Um, but she's able to give police a detailed description of Sutcliffe. You know, she had been hanging out with him for 30 minutes and so she knew what he looked like what he was wearing um she said he had a local accent and that he had a high voice the detective superintendent james james hobson worked with tracy on a sketch it was drawn up and investigated but her case was never compared to anna or olives and the sketch wasn't released to the public which is like you know, these all happen in a very close vicinity of each other. Yeah, similar attacks, similar, like, descriptions. descriptions. Yeah. I mean, how many, I want to know, how many white guys had a square afro in 1975? Right? Well, that's that's, like, maybe a lot of people, I don't know, actually. <laughs> it's a weird time. It's a different it's time a weird back time. then. Yeah. Peter Sutcliffe obviously would have killed Anna, Olive, and Tracy if he could have. He probably thought he killed Anna, actually, when he left her in the alley. But now we're going to move into the women that, unfortunately, he did succeed in killing. At 11 a.m. on October 30th, 1975, only two months after Tracy's attack, the body of a woman was found by a milkman on the grass of Prince Philip Playing Field off Scott Hill Road 
in Leeds. This was Peter Sutcliffe's first victim, a 28-year-old single woman of four children named Wilma McCann. Her body was found 100 yards from her home, and she had been struck twice in the head by a hammer in what would become a signature of Sutcliffe's. She had 15 stab wounds to the abdomen. Her throat and chest were cut with what was the coroner said most likely a sheath knife. She was found with her pants pulled down and her blouse was open. It was determined that the stab wounds were inflicted after she was already dead and Sutcliffe had masturbated over her body. Um, later, after Sutcliffe was arrested, he said they had seen McCann hitchhiking and picked her up. They were just talking, and then once they were almost to her destination, she asked him if he wanted business. So she directed him where to park. Uh, what I'm going to read to you guys next is straight from Peter Sutcliffe's confession later on. So this is, in his words, what happened. We sat there for a minute talking. Then all of a sudden, her tone changed, and she said, well, what are we waiting for? Let's get it on. Before we stopped, she said that it would cost a fiver. I was a bit surprised. I was expecting it to be a bit romantic. I think she had been drinking because she was being irrational. I couldn't have intercourse in a split second. I had to be aroused. At this point, she opened the do- uh, the car door and got out. She slammed the door and shouted, "I'm going! It's going! If I'm going, if it's going to take you all fucking day!" She shouted something like, "You're fucking useless!" I suddenly felt myself seething with rage. I got out of the car wanting to hit her to pay her back for the insult. I had a toolbox on the back of seat of the car and I took a hammer out of the toolbox. I followed her into the field. I took my car coat off and carried it over my arm. I had the hammer in my right hand. I put my coat on the grass. She sat down on the coat. She unfastened her trousers. She said, come on then, get it over with. I said, don't worry, I will. I then hit... (laughs) and hit her with the hammer on her head i was standing up at that time behind her i think i hit her on the top of the head i hit her once or twice she fell down flat on her back and started making a horrible noise like moaning gurgling i thought god what have i done i knew i had gone too far i ran to the car intending to drive off i sat in the car for a while and could see her arm moving i was in a numb panic i still had the hammer in my hand I put it back in my toolbox. I half expected her to get up and realized I would be in serious trouble. I thought the best way out of the mess was to make sure she couldn't tell anybody. And then this is when he proceeds to, you know, stab her and everything. Fucking disgusting. But she, like, laid there, too, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. he hits her like that and just leaves her there and she's, like, in fucking pain. Yeah. And then comes back. Oh, gosh. After Wilma's murder, uh, this is when Sutcliffe claimed that he started hating prostitutes and he wanted to seek them out to murder them. But he obviously had a fascination with prostitutes beforehand. And I don't really believe I don't really believe this. Like, I don't I don't feel like he set out to kill Wilma McCann. I think it was kind of like a crime of passion because what we know from serial killers is, I mean, sometimes, yes, yeah, sometimes they do plan their first attack, but nothing ever goes to plan, right? The first one, this one right here, where he really makes sure that they are dead, this is like a, this is like angry kind of a thing that he's pissed off that this is going on. He's had these, 
these incidents with women previously where they've denied him and they don't think he's as hot shit as he does. And with this lady, she's she's intoxicated. She's like, just get it fucking over with. Like, I just I just want to be done with this. Well, if I can, I don't think she actually was a prostitute. Um, her children don't think she was a prostitute. I think she was someone who was down on her luck, had too much to drink. Someone offered her something and she's like, fuck it. I'll just fucking do it. I'll get it over with really quick and I'll get the extra money kind of a thing. Um, and I don't think she wanted to do this at all. And she just was kind of grossed out with herself is what I feel like. Um, yeah, it would explain why she's annoyed. She just wants it over with so she can get money and take care of her kids. She takes it all personally. Also, just like... Obviously, you could tell something's wrong with him by him getting upset enough to kill somebody with just what she said to him. Like, that's yeah. pretty tame. And, like... Surprised she didn't say shit about his diseased dick. Right? <laughs> like, maybe then you could be... No, not really even then. You could be angry. It's your own fucking fault. But, like, just to be so angry over something so... It's like, it's not a big deal, what she said. It's so yeah. in school. And then he tries to say, like, oh, I was in a numb panic. I don't think he was that stunned either because he just, he just sees her there struggling. And yeah. then he decides to go and finish the job. And then, and then masturbate her. <laughs> masturbate, yeah, on yeah. top of her, like, jizz. Yeah, you were so stunned. Makes better. No. Fuck you, Peter Sutcliffe. I think he had kind of learned what he liked a little bit. Each time he attacks someone, so starting with Anna or Anna to Olive to Tracy to now Wilma, he's like, this is what I want and I like. And I have dominance over them. I have control over them. And they're dead ass bodies there and I can just jerk off over them and then position them how I want. Yeah. The area that Wilma lived in was a poor area. And it makes sense because she was divorced. She was broke. She's trying to take care of her kids and she's an alcoholic. She, her body was found next to a red light district, so the police assumed immediately that she was a prostitute. And this is just mainly in part because of where she was found, and then her landlord starts shit-talking about her, like, oh yeah, she had a lot of boyfriends that came over all the time. Some girls don't allowed and, to have a boyfriend or two? Like, come no. on. <laughs> and I mean, honestly, like, she may, she could have been, like, a, a drunk, an alcoholic mm-hmm. that brought home guys. Like, yeah, people do that. Yeah, they do that. She's you know, also in her. Tw- she's in her twenties. Like she's, she's in her twenties. She's yeah. single. She's you know trying to get rid of her problems through alcohol. Like there's a lot of stuff going on there. We don't really know. Um, I don't really buy it into the fact that she was a prostitute, but the police label labeled her that, which is we're gonna see the police start to build a case up for Peter Sutcliffe on his whole prostitute thing. That he's targeting them. Yeah. So by uh, by the new year, 130 officers were involved in investigating Fuck. Wilma's murder. 500 statements were taken and 5,000 homes were visited. Tests on the semen found on Wilma also revealed that her attacker was from the B blood group and that he was a non-secretor, which is rare. It's only found in about, um, I think, 20% of people. And it makes it harder to identify a person because they don't leave behind as much DNA in their bodily fluids like semen and saliva. And yet, they don't, they still don't get Peter Sutcliffe from this. Like, No. What the fuck? What the fuck? 
Sutcliffe's second murder victim was Emily Jackson. She's a 42-year-old woman who lived in Leeds, which is, Leeds is a nearby city of, it's like the bigger city part of Bradford and Bingley. She lives there with her three children and her husband. This lady actually was a part-time prostitute or sex worker. Uh, she worked part-time to help make ends meet, and her husband was aware of her work, and he agreed so that they could provide for the kids. Although after her murder, he claims that she was a sex worker because she had a very strong sexual appetite that he just couldn't satisfy, which... My dick's small. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you really going to say that out loud, bro? Like, what the hell? You'd rather say that than say, yes, I couldn't provide. So I was like, yeah, sure, go ahead. <laughs> Have sex That's with people. Suckliff picked her up on the 21st of January in 1976. Uh, which was the same day that Wilma was buried, ironically. It's kind of weird. Um, her husband, Sidney, is his name, he was in a pub nearby. At closing time, Sidney knows that their van was outside the pub, so he assumed that his wife, Emily, was in the van with with a John, a client, or had gone off with one, maybe, you know, something like that. So he takes a taxi home. His wife's body, Emily, was found at 8.10 a.m. by a workman taking a shortcut. She was about a half mile away from the pubs that her and her husband would frequent, which was in an area called the Gaiety. Emily was on her back with her right arm extended, her right leg was bent at the knee, and her hip and her left arm and left leg were, they were straight. So she had been positioned in a weird way, like where her whole right side was like, kind of like angled upwards and her left side was angled straight down and she had a pool of blood above her head. Her coat was on, but her dress was pulled down to her waist um, and her tights were pulled down. She had one shoe on and the other shoe was set beside her. I'm sorry. She ha I'm so, so sorry. She had one shoe beside her and the other shoe was next to a wall. Sorry about that. Uh, her wedding ring was still on, so he didn't take her jewelry. Her purse was discarded just a few yards away, and a plank of wood had been placed between her legs. When the police investigated the scene, they could see drag marks and dried blood nearby, indicating that she had been moved and positioned to be specifically in that way. Peter was trying to make a scene that would be just as appalling to any person that stumbled across it. So whether it was the first person to see it, or the first responding officer, or the detective, he wanted to shock them with the scene that he had left. She had two lacerations on her head, which was made by a hammer. She had a boot print on her thigh, and had been stabbed 52 times with what appeared to be a screwdriver. That's awful. Like, screwdrivers aren't that sharp. And that's They're not just that sharp. Crazy. Like, honestly, like, I just... I can't even think about the amount of force it takes mm -hmm. to stab someone with a screwdriver one time. Yeah. Let alone 52 times. Mm -hmm. It's disgusting. Uh, the boot on her thigh matched the boot print at the scene. Both were a men's size 7, and it was a Dunlap Warwick boot. Which, to be honest, at this point today... I feel like our police would have figured it out by now. Just with that information. Like, they would have at least been able to narrow the suspect pool down to, like, 
men with the size seven to men that had that weird, you know, was it type A or type B? Yeah. Like blood the type with their semen and everything. It's on yeah. a secretor. However, these police, as we'll learn later, were not the most organized police officers. Um, but they did recognize that this this victim was murdered by the same person that also had murdered Willem McCann. Police put out a warning sign, uh, saying that a murder was targeting prostitutes in the Chapleton area of Leeds, and newspaper, newspapers began printing articles with headlines like Ripper Hunted and Call Girl Murders, which helped bolster the comparison between Sutcliffe and Jack the Ripper. And it was a you know, huge disservice to women attacked by Sutcliffe previously, because Anna, Olive, Tracy, and Wilma, they weren't sex workers, um, but they were especially Wilma at this time. They're getting drawn into that. So between Emily's murder and his next murder, he attacked somebody, um, a West Indian woman named Marcella Claxton. And this was on March 8th, 1976. So he beat her, masturbated on her, and then shoved a five-pound note into her hand and left her on the ground. She went to the hospital and recovered, but the baby that she was carrying, um, you know, she lost the baby. And when she gave police the description of her attacker, which matched other survivors' descriptions, they tried to make her say that it was a black man, even though she insisted that he was not. Um, her description matched the drawing made from Tracy's description, but her attack was not linked to hers or the murders, and it was given very little press coverage. Irene Richardson was 28 years old on February 5th, 1977, so we are now two years from his first attacks. Mm-hmm when she became Peter Sutcliffe's third murder victim and was found near Soldier's Field by jogger John Bolton. This was where Marcella had been attacked as well. At first, he thought she might be in need of help, but moved closer and realized that she was dead, so he went to one of the nearby houses and called the police. James Hobson, who's the same detective that worked on Tracy's case, was in charge of the investigation and was joined by Detective Dennis Hobbin, who had wor- also worked on Emily's case. So they should be able to wrap all this up together, you would think. Irene had three injuries to her head and had been turned to the left. Her coat had been thrown across her body and her boots had been taken off and laid underneath her legs. Her skirt and slip were bunched up around her waist and her tights had been removed from her right leg only and her tampon had been pulled out and placed beside her. Her throat was cut, and her intestines were spilling out from an abdominal cut. Her body had been dragged like Emily's, and items from her handbag had been scattered everywhere. Swabs showed that she had had sex at some point in the eve- in the last 24 hours, and then semen on her tights showed that there was a second man that had masturbated on her, and he was also a non-secreter. So police agreed that she was probably murdered by the same person that killed Wilma and Emily, but they assumed that she was a prostitute, although there was no evidence of this, because she had had sex before this attack. Apparently women are not allowed to have sex in the 70s. Um, Police tracked down Irene's estranged husband who said that his wife was not a prostitute. She's just mentally unstable and unable to settle down and that's why he actually left home but not because of sex work but the police did not believe him because what woman has sex am i right yeah 
six. Unless she's a dirty prostitute in their mind. That's how I'm not calling all prostitutes dirty. Uh, anyway, um, Patricia Tina Atkinson was a 32-year-old divorced mother of three when she was murdered on April 23, 1977. Her parents had died recently and then pretty close together, which led her to spiral, and she began working in the sex industry and heavily drinking while still married. Her husband found out and he left her took the kids and then she started to spiral further down. Um, but she did stop soliciting for a period of um, time because she was cautioned not to after being arrested. And it's actually unknown if she was still in sex work at the time of her murder. She began seeing a man named Robert Henderson and he stopped by uh, her apartment around 6:30 PM after her murder. She didn't answer. And then um, he realized that the door was unlocked. So he let himself in Henderson saw a spreading stain on the carpet when he walked in and Tina was in bed motionless and she called, um, I mean, he called for her landlord and the landlord came in, also saw Tina and then called the police. Well, Tina was face down, head turned towards the wall with four head wounds. Her tights had been pulled down around her ankles and her jeans had been pulled down as well. Um, she had one shoe on and one off and her bra and t-shirt had been pulled up. She had six stab marks on her stomach and slashes on her side. She had been covered with a blanket and there was a bloody boot mark on the sheets that looked like the boots found at Emily's murder scene. It was obvious that from how her body was positioned that she had been like staged that way. Uh, not much forensic evidence was found at the scene. And one investigator even rudely called Tina a bad girl after her murder, um, you know, implying that it was her fault she had been murdered Gosh. because she was a bad girl prostitute or whatever. Well, this is kind of an interesting, I mean, it's kind of funny, but not, I guess not really funny. A uh, fact is that after leaving the murder scene, Peter actually tossed the hammer that he used to kill Tina out of his car window and, like, the local groundskeeper janitor found it who was like, cool, free hammer. <laughs> and he used it for three years after the murder for his work. I don't know if Sutton <laughs> cleaned it off or just tossed it out with the blood still on it, but you think that he'd, like, the groundskeeper would have noticed something on there, like some kind of blood or hair or something like that on it. Something. He's all, oh, it's a hammer for the heavens. It is an omen. It kind of <laughs> makes me wonder, like, how expensive were hammers back then? <laughs> right? Like, like, you can get them at the dollar store now. I mean, like, now, I don't know about yeah. a quality hammer. <laughs> ain't no <laughs> Stanley hammer it. at the dollar store. <laughs> no, but like, get a garage sale. <laughs> but, uh, like, you it's probably the murder weapon, though. I know. I would, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't really think that any hammer I saw on the ground was a murder weapon, but... Why? I guess, I mean, he probably saw the news and was like, oh shit, the serial killer is using hammers to kill people. Yeah. I did find this hammer, maybe I should turn it in, kind of huh. a weird thing. It had a piece of scalp on it, so I guess maybe it was. Like, eh, what rip that off. <laughs> it, right? It's from one of those sheep. Let's put oh, some cruz uh, lad on it. Oh, or whatever they drink over there. Yeah. So Jane McDonald's murder changed the entire Ripper investigation. She lived near the other victims and actually only six doors down from Wilma McCann. And she used to babysit for her in the past. But the media and police immediately separated her from the other woman because she was 16 years old, a pretty blonde girl, and in their view, innocent. 
on June 26, 1977, which was actually the night before Tina's funeral. Kind of weird. Peter Sutcliffe was leaving. I know. The the funeral things are weird. I don't know if, if he knew that was going on yeah. and decided that he wanted like, to kill again or what. I haven't read anything but... verifying that, but it's just kind of a weird, yeah. odd coincidence. Coincidence that it's happened twice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. So Peter Sutcliffe was leaving a local gay bar called the Dog and Pound around 2 a.m. when he saw Jane walking. She had been out with friends from work. She had been spotted by a few people on her way home. She tried to call a cab but wasn't able to catch one. Um, so she you know, decided to walk the rest of the way. Uh, Sutcliffe parked his car and followed Jane on foot on Chapleton Road, struck her on the head, and then dragged her out of sight onto a playground. When Jane was found, she was face down with her head resting on her left hand and her feet crossed. Her shirt had been bunched up and she had a large wound between her chest and stomach where a broken bottleneck was stuck from when she was dragged. Um, and then she also had other stab wounds and three head wounds. Media went crazy with her murder, saying that the Ripper had made a mistake killing Jane, that she had that she was a good, hardworking girl, respectable, and the Yorkshire Post printed an open letter to Sutcliffe, which read in part, Your motive, it's believed, is a dreadful hatred for prostitutes, a hate that gives you that drives you to slash and bludgeon your victims. But inevitably, that twisted passion went horribly wrong on Sunday night. An innocent 16-year-old lass, a happy and respectable working-class girl from a decent Leeds family crossed your path. How did you feel yesterday when you learned that your bloodstained crusade had gone so horribly wrong, that your vengeful knife had found so innocent Here's a target? Thing. They don't give a fuck. Serial killers do not give a fuck. Like, I always see nope. people, you know, on TV being like, oh, please return our daughter. Like, please, if you have it in you. I mean, I still think they should do that just because it draws attention to the case in general. And we always know that yeah. the unsub is paying attention and yes i just use that word because i watch criminal minds all the time but um <laughs> like yes the reality is he he has no remorse he doesn't care he, he's not going to stop what he's doing like he doesn't give a fuck he doesn't give a fuck i'm not saying you shouldn't do it i don't know what i'm saying no. i'm just saying don't expect much from it if you say that like these guys really thought that by putting that article in the newspaper, this guy was going to stop, which is, I think, a little bit naive. naive. Yeah, exactly. A little bit moronic, too. Uh, they went on to call him to stop, right? Saying, like, you made a mistake. Like, like he's living on, like, by some moral code, right? Like, he's like Dexter or something like that. I only kill prostitutes or I only kill serial killers. Like, no, he does not have a moral code. He's not only out to just kill evil sex workers and not innocent girls like he just fucking just don't like women uh many other newspapers and magazines reported much of the same but a spokeswoman for the leeds rape crisis center publicly publicly called this out and said obviously the killer just hated women all women but prostitutes were the more vulnerable and easily accessible which is 100% true. Anytime mm -hmm. that we see prostitutes getting murdered, I actually can't think of a single case where it's because the killer specifically hated prostitutes. It's more just like they're easy to get to. 
right? And the police don't pay attention. They don't pay attention. They get in your car willingly. They will go home with you willingly. They'll go back to your hotel room willingly. Um, And it's easy for you to, like, get rid of them. And no one's going to go looking for them because they're a prostitute. So that's sad to say, but it's the truth. Mm -hmm. Jane's mother, Irene, was also very upset about how the victims were portrayed, and she was angry because she was sure that people had seen or heard something with the other women, but weren't coming forward because they cared less or didn't want to admit association with the women because they were considered to be prostitutes, which is also pretty true. So we're actually going to end part one with Jane's murder. After this, the police are starting to look at the attacks of Sutcliffe's surviving victims again, and they're starting to change just a little bit the more narrow vision they had of how the Ripper only went for prostitutes because Jane didn't really fit the narrative that they had made. Um, and he, she had obviously been murdered by the Ripper, too, so that was something they were taking into consideration. Mm-hmm. I also want to mention quickly that for all these murders, the police were working with a pathologist named Professor David Gee, so a lot of the forensic observations were made by him. Now, I mean, now jumping to year 2021, we have all this data, right, of how serial killers work, how they progress, what they're thinking, because the FBI, around this time, in the 70s, were actually putting together, like, you know, interviews and stuff with different social, uh, serial killers so they could come up with this research. In 1975, 1980, in Great Britain, they do not have this research. They do not have this knowledge. Also, you might be wondering why the cops are so shitty at putting all this shit together. It's because all their notes are taken on stupid little index cards yeah, and put thousands. in a box with hundreds of other boxes in a giant warehouse. And that's their filing system. Yeah, so they're not able to make these connections because they would have to literally go through every index card to be putting these pieces together. So while they're gathering all this information, they're not seeing the connections because there's all the there's there's too much information for them to go They're through. They're not seeing that they interviewed Peter Sutcliffe several times for these crimes. Yeah. Which is crazy to me, but they had, you know, they had at one point I think they had over 300 officers working on this case, so mm-hmm. it's not like the same officer went to question him every time. No. It's a different officer. They also have a call center open so that people can call in and, like, you know, give tips open if they, what they saw, if they saw anything. And there's, like, angry wives and girlfriends calling in and reporting their boyfriend saying, oh, he <laughs> he must be the ripper because, you know, he broke up with them last week or he forgot their so... fucking anniversary or something. So, uh, and they have to write that, they have to write that down and investigate it, which is obviously taking away from you know, actually solving these murders. So yeah, (laughs) it was a crazy time for police work. Um, Like obviously they're working on it, but they're not able to make these connections and their narrow vision on what, who could be the Ripper's victims is making it even worse. And they didn't really have like a good leader. Like Mm -mm. I think they were kind of working independently and then, you know, then they got this like big hot shot in, but there was just not a whole lot of organization there. No. So they, this is like one of the cases where the police were actually working very hard to try and solve. They just weren't working smart. Yeah. So that's the only problem. Like 
they took these prostitutes' murders seriously, so it wasn't just like a, oh, they're a prostitute, we don't give a shit about them. Like, they actually did take the murder very seriously and put a lot of work and effort into trying to solve it. They just were not working smart because they did not, they were not organized at all. Yeah. So, and, and they, they were, were very work- narrow-minded. Yeah, they so. were working with the, the prejudice that, oh, no, he only kills... Prostitutes. Prostitutes, exactly. And then then Jane's murder happens, and they're like, what the hell? They did not see it coming. Yeah. Um, So we will have part two next week, where we will wrap up uh, the remaining murders and talk about his arrest and a little about about the trial and how he actually came to pass Mm -hmm. last year, technically 2020. Yep. Uh, make sure to say happy birthday to Katie on our Instagram if you're yes. listening. So give us a follow. Good one. We're gonna if... go celebrate in a in a cabin by ourselves, not by ourselves completely. So don't come and murder us. But we're gonna go have <laughs> a little good time in the snow, uh, away yeah. from you know people carrying coronavirus. COVID. <laughs> yep. COVID. So yeah, that's will be. We're going to announce our winner tomorrow of our giveaway. Mm-hmm. So good luck to you. Be sure to follow us on Crimes and Cocktails on our Instagram. And we'll have our recipes on there as well. And be sure to be one of our patrons for yep. Crimes and Cocktails. We have some cool goodies coming out. So yep, Extra content. We're going to be doing another giveaway coming up soon too. So um, We have another Patreon-only yep. episode coming out next week. So mm-hmm. that will be cool. Oh, uh, we'll see you guys next week. Yeah. All right. Guys, have a good night. Oh, I was going to say adios and I realized wrong fucking continent. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, y'all. <laughs> <laughs>